time ago, an American airplane dropped one bomb on Hiroshima. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this. American people, I think, is good people. They are. They have not to charge with the guilty of all the lies. Welcome back to the Cold War Show, Ray. Thank you, Cam. The end of the last episode, we were talking about... Uh... I have a question. You probably didn't see my hand raised. I apologize. I'm sitting in the back. I was listening to the intro that that you play all the time. Do you know who it was um, that read the statement about the bomb on Hiroshima? I couldn't p- place that voice. I thought I knew, but yeah, I'm just curious. Yeah, it's a guy called Harry S. Truman. Uh, I'm not sure if you've heard of that him. Was his, but, uh, <laughs> no, I wasn't sure that that was his voice because it was done really flat. And I was just wondering. By the time we finish today, you will yeah. have heard of him. Nice. Nice. Uh, religion hadn't been discussed at Yalta, but uh, Joe had apparently repeated his famous saying about the Pope, how many divisions has he got? Um, Now, as we said in the last episode, uh, right about this time, early 1945, Stalin has got the NKVD rounding up the bishops and the leader of the Ukrainian Catholic Church, partly because he doesn't like religion, partly, though, uh, and probably mostly, it's to get rid of them as a bad influence because the Pope to whom they answered, Pope Pius XII, right. was a virulent anti-communist and Stalin could kind of see that the Catholics were going to be a problem after the war now that he had sort of absorbed the Ukraine into his circle of influence. Mm-hmm. Did we want to talk at all about Stalin supposedly saying that about the Pope and his divisions? I had a little bit on it, but I wasn't sure if we were going to go into it. Oh, no, well, I don't have anything on that, so go into it, yeah. Get in there, Ray. Okay. Get up in all them. Right, will... Get up in them guts, Ray. <laughs> Deep. So supposedly, uh, in May of 1935, French Foreign Minister Pierre Laval asked Stalin to improve the situation of the Catholics in the USSR, as to, you know, not provoke a quarrel with the Pope. As supposedly Stalin, uh, with his peculiar sense of humor, said, the Pope, how many divisions does he have? So again, he was letting these Frenchmen know that he didn't give a crap, that all he did was respect force. Um, Theoretically, uh, and I've read this in several different bios, when Stalin got hold of a good line, a good joke, maybe like a lot of people do, Mm. he likes to repeat it. So he supposedly said it, several times in his lifetime. Supposedly he said it at Yalta as well. Supposedly he said it to Churchill when Churchill was in the middle of a nice long speech about the wonderful, courageous, brave people of Poland. And, and also we need to, to respect their uh, 
their religion, which also meant respecting the Pope. And so that's when um, Stalin dropped that line on him as well as, as far as how many divisions does the Pope have. But supposedly two other men said it before Stalin. One was German Chancellor Otto von Bismarck when he was having a conversation, but before him, supposedly Napoleon Bonaparte said it when he was talking to one of his diplomats and he said, and how am I to treat him, the Pope? Am I to treat him as though he has 200,000 men? And so I found that in one of the books and I got that off of a website that I cannot believe exists. It's the, the web, name of this website is the Stalin Society of North America. Whoa. So there's someone out there. There's someone out there who has created a website, I guess, in appreciation of Marshall Stalin. We should track down whoever's behind that and invite them on the show. Much, come on, please tell us all the good things. The you know, SSNA. Wow. Yeah. So anyway, so supposedly, uh, you know, and we all know that Stalin read a lot as as a young child and young man. Uh, Maybe he picked that up, but supposedly Bismarck and Napoleon said something like it uh, in their lifetimes. The SSNA, we are an educational and research organization devoted to studying and popularizing the life, work and legacy of Joseph Vissarinovich Stalin. God. Uh Uh-huh. Wow. Good for them. Our aim is to engage the American and Canadian public with an end to countering anti-Stalin myths and propaganda and with the goal of restoring in the public eye Stalin to his rightful place as Lenin's most distinguished pupil and defender. Oh, we should get these okay. guys on. I, I'm sorry. I got to throw this out. So you can say, Stalin, he kept the Soviet Union safe for a long time. He killed 20 million people... Of 20 million of his own people. That's like saying Hitler built the Autobahn and then started World War II. Yeah, he did some good, but he did a lot of big bad, and that's what he should be remembered for. So um, I, 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 I have to dispute this whole he killed 20 million of his own people line. Okay. Yeah. We can say 20 million people... Soviets died during his reign, Stark, but yeah. when you say he killed them, it's like he... Like, did he did he personally kill them? No. Did he give an order gotcha. that they were to be killed? No. Did he make decisions that led to their deaths? Yes. Mm-hmm. But I, I don't know. I just think that's a that's kind of a cheap throw away, throw away line that we've been fed. He killed twenty million of his own people. It makes it sound like he gave the order. He didn't give the order. As far as we know, he did give orders that had calamitous uh, consequences was mm-hmm. he deliberately trying to cause the, the the famines in the ukraine i don't think so that doesn't make what sense. what if he didn't care i don't care i'm going to take everything you grow and sell it because i need the money to industrialize so i i can figure out that you're gonna die i just don't give a fuck yeah, well, that's still different from he killed 20 million of his own people. Okay. I mean, All right. 20 he, million he of his own policies. people. And they weren't his own people. They were Ukrainians. He's Georgian. Right, so, <laughs> right. so it's okay. So it's okay. <laughs> he didn't like Ukrainians much. We know that. Anyway, it's, anyway. Look, look, I'm not I'm not giving him a free pass here. And, I, and right. I, I've already had some emails recently. People saying, oh, I think you give Stalin too much of a free pass. No, I don't. But at the same time, I don't think it's useful to just perpetuate 
those sort of propagandistic simplifications. He qu- right, killed 20 right. million of his own people. Because, yeah, it's, 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 it's way more complicated than yeah. that. Uh, anywho, the, the, so, the, so, this, this, this group sounds like fun. We should get them on, see what they have to say. So before, before you jump in, I don't want to mess up the timeline or anything. Yes. But uh, w- when we were talking, and I'm just going to throw this out, when we were talking about all the persecutions that Stalin was ordering as far as the churches and the underground, well, the churches anyway, and the bishops and the, uh, and the, the leader of the church, um, in some ways it's ironic that that all came about because FDR was pressuring, and to some degree, uh, Stalin on, on trying to be more lenient towards people's religious views. And he actually sent a man over to, to talk to uh, Stalin's people about this, which probably got Stalin's attention. And so he decided to crack down. And I wasn't sure how much we were going, if we were going to cover Ed Flynn or not. Yes, lots of Ed Flynn. Um, okay. I don't really understand this idea, though, that Roosevelt sending Ed Flynn caused Stalin to crack down. I, 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 yeah. Did you figure out how it caused it? I mean, I, I figured Stalin just ignored it. He cracked down anyway, but I don't, I don't see how Flynn's right. uh, the, presence the- caused anything. Right. Well, one, I think he was just a part of the um, <clears throat> the part of the drip, drip, drip on Stalin. Even though he was ineffectual, he was FDR's man. And we have said numerous times, I think even on the last show about Stalin probably doesn't pretty much care about Churchill and what Churchill thinks, but he does care about FDR. They have made a connection. And even though they're both very different men, I think they get a sense that they can really work together. And so when you tie in all the stuff, the pressure, which we probably won't go into, but all the pressure the Pope used trying to take care of the Catholics in Poland and in the Ukraine, and plus having FDR's representative come. Um, I think he felt that these people might feel like they had a savior or that they might be being protected and so they could try to resist or whatever. I think it was all of it together. I, yeah, I don't think Ed Flynn deserves as much credit as some books uh, give him for it. I, I was going to say Stalin gives pressure. He doesn't get mm-hmm. pressure. He's the pressure-er. Um, now, this Ed Flynn guy, we should explain Ed Flynn. He was a long-term uh, political power broker in the United States, a staunch Catholic. He ran the Democrat political machine in the Bronx, had yeah. uh, helped Roosevelt get elected a governor and, and then president. Roosevelt had once tried to make him the ambassador to Australia... <laughs> but because of his connections to corruption and Tammany Hall, Tammany Hall, yeah, uh, the Senate wouldn't uh, approve his uh, selection for Australia. Poor Australia, we missed out on Ed Flynn. Yeah, now a hard drinking Catholic, it could have been fun. The connection between Flynn and Australia is interesting because there is a saying in like Flynn, right? And I and have he always. Didn't get in. I have always heard that that's a reference to the Australian actor Errol Flynn. You know Errol Flynn, Ray? Yeah. 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 Sword swinging on the vine, the rope. Yeah, yeah, pirate. Or yeah. Whatever it was. Yeah. Well, yeah, he used to do like swashbuckling. Swash, Cap- there we go. Captain Blood, the Adventures of Robin Hood movies. Uh, he died in 1950. Very famous Aww. in the 30s and 40s. Um, but uh, apparently... In Like Flynn could also be a reference to 
Ed Flynn, because if he wanted to get you voted, you got elected, you got in. So you were in like Flynn is uh, one of the other possible etymologies of that saying. If I could say something nice about him. I don't know. Well, first of all, let me, let me say something bad about him. Uh, he was uh, the protege of Charles Francis Murphy, the boss of Tammany Hall. So, yeah, big time corruption, the political machine that got people elected, got other people shunned, which is why he lost the vote as far as being ambassador. But in, in 1943, he and the First Lady of the United States were writing letters back and forth. And in one letter, he says to her, and, and as far as I can tell, he was sincere. It seems to me that we can never have a complete settlement of world conditions until the Anglo-Saxon begins to realize that he is not the superior race, but that all races are equal. So mm. if he did mean that, he's doing pretty, pretty good for 1943. Mm. Now, he was a staunch Catholic, as we said. Uh, Roosevelt invited him to Yalta, but he didn't have much to do. <laughs> But immediately, he found something to do. Immediately after Yalta, Frank sent him to Moscow to try to get them to allow the Vatican to send Catholic clergy into Eastern Europe. Now, why would Frank be doing that, Ray? Well, he needs um, he needs the situation to stay calm. He doesn't need Stalin going off. He doesn't need the Pope going off because. After Yalta is done, actually even before Yalta, um, the last thing the president needs is the Pope saying to the American Catholics who also vote, Yalta is a bad deal. He needs this thing's calm. He needs the church calm. He needs the issue of religion in general calm in order to be able to get Yalta to go through and also to be able to get his United Nations off the ground. Yeah, obviously a lot of Irish Catholics, a lot of Polish Catholics in the United States uh, he needs to keep them um, up, yeah, positive. He needs he needs to yeah. keep them on side. He needs the Pope to do that, and to get the Pope to be happy, he needs Stalin to to lay off the Pope. Now, before he returned to the U.S. from Moscow, Flynn went to Rome to see the Pope. Goebbels noted in his diary that this visit meant Roosevelt was trying to win over the Catholics to his side. And the, that the Pope was very displeased with the Anglo-Americans after the Yalta conference. So interesting that Goebbels is paying attention to all of this. Me, I would have had other things on my mind at this point, like <laughs> looking for a house in Argentina. Uh, by a, Learning to speak Spanish. April 1945. Yeah, I'd be, I'd be looking to get out of there. Now, Pope Pius, I'd love to do a whole show on Pope Pius. Have you talked much about him uh, on your World War II show? God, if I did, it was years ago. I don't think I covered him in as much detail as I should have. Mm. Uh, it's a big subject. Um, he negotiated a concordat uh, with Hitler in 1933 and has often been accused of being too close to the Nazis during the war and for ignoring the Holocaust against the Jews. Whether or not that last claim is fair is the subject of a lot of debate. And mm -hmm. I don't really want to get into it here, but I would like to get into it at some point. There was an interesting book that came out, I think about 10 years ago, by a British journalist called Hitler's Pope that mm -hmm. uh, took a whole new look at uh, Pius Twelfth and uh, what he did. There's sort of evidence uh, on both sides. Some say that during this period he worked with the German underground. 
that he did uh, provide support for some of the Jews, that he was never really friendly with Hitler. But then there's evidence to the contrary as well. So I don't know, maybe he was just trying to play both sides. Um, It'd be really interesting to dig down deep into him and see what his, you know, where where the evidence lies, what his deal was. Bullshit filter subject. Yeah, maybe at some point. But right now, uh, what's important about Pius is he's trying to rally international support for the Catholics in Poland and again, he has been, regardless of his relationship uh, with the Nazis, he was virulently anti-communist, and this isn't going to fly. I mean, Stalin isn't going to be friendly with a pope who is critical of communists, particularly when there's a big Catholic population in these new territories that Stalin needs to get into line. And, and you have to keep in mind that Stalin hears from the Western papers when Ed Flynn comes to see him. As far as the papers know, Ed Flynn has basically three goals. To get the Soviets to allow the Vatican to send Catholic clergy to Eastern Europe. Why in the hell would he do that? Uh, report on Catholic institutions in the East. And we've already talked about how Stalin has had the NKVD crack down on them and improve the situation of Italian prisoners in the USSR. We covered about four or five episodes ago Stalin's attitude towards Soviet prisoners of war. Obviously, he doesn't give a flying fig about Italian prisoners of war. So I think all this just kind of made Stalin unhappy and maybe a little apprehensive, like there was a concerted effort from various different groups trying to put pressure on him. Yeah, I think he was upset that the church was trying to have undue influence on his territories and were threatening to use their congregations, their membership and their control over them to cause him mm-hmm. trouble. That's not, You're not going to get in Stalin's good books by threatening to right. cause him trouble. And the fact that the Americans were trying to get him to give the Vatican some leeway probably rubbed him up the wrong way as well. Roosevelt had been working on Pope Pius XII for a while. Uh, In 1944, just before the presidential elections, he sent Harry Hopkins (laughs) over to talk to the Pope. Um, Hopkins was upset that the Catholic Church in America was trying to influence the presidential elections and uh, trying to influence U.S. policy towards Eastern Europe. Uh, to the best of my knowledge, religions in the United States are supposed to stay well away from politics. Is that right, Ray? Yeah, right. Uh, on, it's probably written on a piece of paper somewhere that's been burned, but yeah, no longer. But um, Hopkins, uh, for all for his anger towards the Pope and towards Catholics, was ordered by FDR to go on there with a smile on his face and to placate the Pope to keep him passive and calm and quiet while Yalta could proceed. Yeah. I'm sure it was hard for him. So now Flynn has gone to see the Pope, but nothing is going to change Stalin's stance on the Vatican. During his papacy, Pius had issued the decree against communism Mm. in which he declared that Catholics who profess communist doctrine are to be excommunicated as apostates from the Christian faith. What about forgiveness? Understanding. No, fuck that. Love. Fuck that shit. Now, as <laughs> as I've pointed out 
I think on this show earlier, the early Christian communities were proto-communist. Mm-hmm. Uh, at least some of them were, according to the New Testament. They were sharing. They had no private property. They were sharing all of their goods amongst each other, uh, prob- mostly because they believed that the second coming was going to happen next weekend. And right. so they were like, well, we don't need any of this shit. Let's just share it around, share our, share our food, share our... Uh, Community uh, pro- properties, share our yeah. wives, uh, share it all, all good sharing. Um, but by this stage, things are very different. So yeah, it's it's always quite ironic to me that the Catholics came out so hard against communism when uh, the early Christians were fairly definitely uh, uh, communist themselves. How do you have love, forgiveness on one side, and if someone goes against the church or or whatever, you literally call it a sin, and then you come down hard on them? I I just never understood the divide between love, tolerance, forgiveness, and judging someone and coming down really hard on them because they have sinned, they broke. Anyway, so I just just find that hard. Um, The other thing Stalin was really focused on was... uh, that the Catholic Church was um, not only trying to meddle in affairs that quite, in his opinion, uh, should not have been involved in, they were also trying to support the Polish emigre government. They were also opposed to um, giving German land to Poland because they know it's going to be held in uh, German control. So Stalin has got some very specific specific things that he's angry about as far as the Pope. It's not just a general, you don't like us. This guy is coming up with policies that is flying in the face of all the plans that Stalin has for Poland and Eastern Europe. Yeah. Now, you know, one of the things that Joe could have used as an attack against the Pope was that the Pope had signed a concordat with Hitler. Of course, the fact that Joe also signed a concordat with Hitler, that's neither here nor there. Can't can't bring that up. No. Now... I think his main reason was this, the Pope's view on communism and his, the Pope's, that is, trying to interfere with his plans for Poland. Anyway, Ed Flynn didn't get very far in Moscow, as you can imagine. He was given the old Soviet runaround. He doesn't get enough uh, respect, I think, Stalin, for his uh, invention of hammer-ons and pull-offs. And <laughs> really, uh, you know, he, he has a lot, lot of spare time late at night in his Dasha uh, just, yeah. just you know, learning how to reinvent modern guitar playing. Well, when he died, he was he was literally called Stalin the Great. Had nothing to do with his politics. It was all about what he could do on a guitar. So good for him. Good for him. Yeah. Now, uh, yes, Flynn got the runaround in Moscow. Lots of meetings, which were pleasant, but went nowhere. I have to, I have to ask. From what I was able to gather, he wasn't stupid. He was politically savvy, but he wasn't brilliant. He certainly wasn't on an FDR level when it comes to uh, international politics or intrigue. I, you, you get the feeling that he was um, a plotter. His job was to go around, talk to all the right people, hopefully say all the wrong, the right things, hopefully not say any wrong things, have nothing to show for it. But he can say, I tried. I tried to get Joe to loosen up 
on religion. And because he's got to he's got to be thinking Joe's going to do whatever the hell Joe wants uh, in his the territory that he controls. I just get the sense that this guy was just there to say, look, I gave it the old college try. I wonder what he had in his little bag to negotiate with. Look, you go easy on the Pope, Joe, and I will what? Yeah. I mean, what did he have to bargain with? I don't really know at this point. Anyway, there were five million members of the Ukrainian Greek Catholic Church, and it was finally abolished in 1946, a year later, and its members were ordered to join the Russian Orthodox Church. Wow. Now, immediately after Yalta, Stalin didn't try to go after Catholics outside of the USSR or the territories it had been assigned at Yalta. The Greek Catholic Church, for example, in Poland, survived for uh, quite a while. So Joe is still being careful not to be too heavy-handed, doesn't want to upset Frank too much. But yeah. within the, the borders of the USSR, he can't have the Pope causing trouble. Right. He's going now, to crack down. But yeah, like you said, he's got, he's got to present a good face to the West because there's going to be business dealings. There's going to be um, international politics. And also, again, he's got a relationship with FDR that he, I, I believe, genuinely wants to keep going as long as it can, as long as he can keep it going. Now, after I read all of that stuff uh, earlier about, I think it was in the last episode, about the relationship between um, the, the, the communists and religion, how they disavowed religion in all its forms, mm-hmm. why is there still a Russian Orthodox Church for the Catholics to be absorbed into? Now, uh, Stalin had uh, revived the church a little bit just before the Tehran conference, but he had revived uh, around about this time the idea of Cesaro-Papism, which is one of my personal favorite words I like to use in conversation as often as possible. Cesaro-Papism. Yeah. Doctor, uh, can you take a look at my penis? I think I have a (laughs) Cesaro-Papism. I think I have a really bad case of... Cesaro, how do you say it again? Cesaro papism. Doctor says, well, sure, I'll have a look at your penis, but what's that got to do with Cesaro papism? Which, as you know, is the uh, state where the uh, emperor is the head of the church. The Caesar, Cesaro, is the pope. Now, this is an old tradition going back to Constantine himself. Um, although you could probably go back further. I mean, we know from our ancient Rome shows that uh, Augustus was Pontifex Maximus. Julius Caesar was Pontifex Maximus when he was dictator. Mm-hmm. Um, so kind of goes back, you know, well before Christianity, they were the head of the state and the head of the church. But anyway, Constantine in 330, when he turned Byzantium into Constantinople, made himself the head of the Eastern Church. And this continued right down to Ivan the Terrible. When he assumed the title of Tsar in 1547, he subordinated the Russian Orthodox Church to the state. So he was the head of state and the head of the church. Damn. And before the Tehran Conference, Stalin had allowed the election of an Orthodox Patriarch, their equivalent of the Pope, for the first time since the Russian Revolution. He's rolling so, out the red carpet, isn't he? 
Well, I think his idea... Well, this is also the time he disbanded the uh, international. Uh, mm-hmm. He's trying to make himself look as acceptable to the British and the Americans as he can. Look, I'm giving up all attempts at converting the world to communism and uh, sure, religion in the... Sure, absolutely. We can have religion in the Soviet Union. Look at that. We respect our citizens' religious beliefs. We're letting them vote for a patriarch. We're... You know, we had to... Look, we had to... We had to wind it down for a little bit, but it's all good now. We're all good. We're back. (laughs) We're back, right. baby. We're back. And the other the other part of that is because of the Tehran conference, this is late in 43, even though things have turned around for the Soviet Union in the war, I mean, they still lost a lot of territory. They still have a long way to go. And so, yeah, like FDR now needs Stalin's help in Japan, Stalin certainly needed our help in late 1943. So all these things that he's doing is to impress the West, to show, no, what you've heard about us is not true. We're actually the good guys. And, you know, these were very real gestures that the West bought into. I'm back, baby! I'm back! (laughs) Now, Stalin, of course, had his own spin on this. Uh, In April 1944, he had a conversation with a Polish Catholic priest from the United States, Father Stanislav Orlomanski, where Stalin said, (coughs) Wodka, Wodka, (laughs) we are not cannibals. We Bolsheviks have a point in our program that provides for freedom of religious convictions. From the first days of the existence of Soviet power, we set ourselves the goal of implementing that point. But the rebellious conduct of activists of the Orthodox Church deprived us of the ability of implementing that point, and the government had to accept battle after the Church laid a curse on Soviet power. Misunderstandings arose on that basis between the representatives of religion and the Soviet government. That was before the war with the Germans. After the beginning of the war with the Germans, people and circumstances changed. War eliminated the differences between church and state. The faithful renounced their rebellious attitude. And the Soviet government renounced its militant attitude with regard to religion. He sounds so reasonable, so rational. It's and maybe horseshit. he is. Well, how do you know it's all shit? Maybe it is. It was the communist policy, the Bolshevik policy, to get rid of religion since 1917. Ah, right, but the- as I explained in the last episode, all of the founders, mm-hmm. from Marx through Lenin through Bukharin, all said, yes, but you can't do it at the point of a gun. It has to be... Right. Slow. It has to be education. It wasn't their policy, as Stalin says. It wasn't their policy to just outlaw and ban religion, as far as I know. Right. Anyway, from what I've read. But what about the rebellious conduct of activists of Orthodox Church? So basically, saying, "Look, we tried. We were going to meet them halfway, but they wouldn't stop attacking or harassing us. We had to fight back. We're just the helpless government." It's just a far fetch to me. Well, not helpless, but, okay, so, okay, put yourself in Stalin's shoes. They, they, they're implementing the revolutionary government, the revolutionary agenda. As we know, right across the board, anyone who tried to slow down the five-year plans, tried to slow down the, the um, modernization of Russia, Stalin was going to crush. The Bolsheviks were going to crush doesn't matter if you were religious or not if you were getting in the way of progress 
you had to be removed, shut down, sent to a gulag, executed, yeah. any one right. of the above. Yeah, um, kind of making my point. But yeah, so if you don't agree with their government, you don't agree with their policies, you don't agree with their religion or their policy of lack of religion or whatever, you will probably get a knock on your door and people might not see you again. So my, yeah, during the war, everybody came together. But my point and being... the end of the war. My point yeah. being, Stalin's perspective on it, were, is it likely that there were activists being run by the Orthodox Church in the early days um, of the Bolsheviks taking control? I think so. Yeah, no, yeah. Absolutely. The Orthodox Church... It's not was, that he's wrong. It's the emphasis. It's the interpretation. It's, it's what you would get out of that statement if you didn't know any better about how he treated people. In the, I mean, the Orthodox Church was obviously closely connected with uh, the, the the royal family, with uh, mm -hmm. the white Russians, you know, going back to Ivan the Fourth. Um, so yes, the, I think it's highly likely that despite the depravity of the Romanov uh, rule of Russia, the uh, or the majority. I know we, we did talk about uh, uh, quite a few episodes ago. Um, one of the Orthodox Church leaders who was a was a activist who had helped. I think it was one of the Black Sunday um, marches where a lot of people got killed. That kind of stuff. So there were Orthodox uh, Church leaders that were on the side of the people, but I think the body in general was probably uh, supporting the old regime. They would have been against the Bolsheviks. For that reason alone, if not also the the socialist slash communist position on religion, which they're not going to be very friendly towards, so I think there were activists uh, in the Orthodox Church fighting against uh, Soviet power, um, and then of course, yeah, the Bolsheviks, yeah. you know, yeah. went went to war with them and shut them down. And I do think it's rather clever of Stalin when he does get a hold of uh, Western Ukraine. The church is obviously in some form, even though it's tattered, still in existence. And he is going to tolerate that. He is going to use that to try through the church and other entities, uh, local entities, to bind that area to Moscow because he sees this is an opportunity to get what he wants without occupation, without force, without fighting and killing. So, yes, we've liberated Western Ukraine, and now we're going to learn to live and work together, hope, hoping to tie them to Moscow. And so after the war, it will stay within the Soviet fold, and he will have accomplished in, in peace what Hitler was trying to do in war. Indeed. And he's going to try and use religion to bind them to Moscow as closely as possible by getting them all to become members of the Orthodox Church. Now, keep in mind, too, we should remember that Stalin himself as a young man had studied to become an Orthodox priest. Mm -hmm. So he knew a little bit about how to make this work. He's the right guy to be the head of the church. Like he studied for a year, two years, went to seminary. Yeah. No, Took he's, exams, read yeah, books. Dropped yeah. out, got in trouble. But, you know, he's the right guy. Now, yeah. the, the the interesting thing about this uh, to me is that he, Stalin has sort of made himself the head of the Russian Orthodox Church. Uh, he is uh, forcing 
these Ukrainian Catholics to join the Russian Orthodox Church, which is exactly the kind of thing that Marx and Lenin were against. Mm -hmm. They were against religion because it was used as a tool of the manipulation of the people and Stalin here is using it as a tool for the manipulation of the people to try and get them to support their annexation or their inclusion into the USSR. So, look, it's more of a guideline than a rule, I think Stalin's (laughs) position was on this. Yeah. Yeah. I read Marx, but I'll do what the fuck I want. I'm in charge. And it's a lot better than killing a concentration camp. So if he can use it to weave the... uh, the uh, bind it closer to Moscow. Hey, you know that that's certainly better than just shooting everybody and making a declarative statement at the at the end of a gun. Now, the Greek Catholic Church in Poland did survive for quite a while, as I mentioned earlier. They were eventually shut down, but they survived by going underground, uh, as they did in the Ukraine too, to a large extent. Uh, but uh, in Poland. Uh, and in the Ukraine, it was revived in 1989 at the end of the Cold War with the support of the Polish Pope, John Paul II. So, Stal- justice. Stalin may have won in the short term, but in the long term, the Catholics came back because the Catholics are like cockroaches, man. You can, no, you, can't, you can't say that. You can have as many St. Bartholomew Day massacres as you like. Ouch. Mm-hmm. But they're always, they find a way to come back, the Catholics. Yeah. I think that's where we're so, going to wrap up episode 60, Ray. Yeah. No, I was just going to say that Stalin can move around the lines on a map all he wants. Like you said, it's good for the short term, obviously, 40 years later, which, you know, 40 years is a long time. But uh, communism, uh, the East Bloc will fall, their power will fall, and people will go back to, I guess, what their parents or grandparents did. So in this one, it's religion one, communism zero. Descended across the continent. Of the Soviet military buildup on the island of Cuba. The purpose of these bases can be none other than to provide a nuclear strike capability against the Western Hemisphere.